Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, happenings, and history of West Seattle intersect. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. In this episode, we check in with the new executive director of the Southwest Seattle Historical Society for some updates on what's ahead, including the Loghouse Museum's 25th anniversary celebration. And we'll go back in time to explore the origin of that very same log house and its own unique history before becoming a museum. This episode of Always West Seattle is a program of the Southwest Seattle Historical Society, and we'd like to begin by acknowledging that we are on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish people, past and present, and we honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish tribe. After a months-long nationwide search, the Southwest Seattle Historical Society Board of Directors has hired a new executive director. And ultimately, they didn't have to look very far to find her. It's Maggie Case, who'd been filling in as the interim executive director since the beginning of the year. I caught up with Maggie to talk about her journey into this new role and the next steps ahead. Congratulations on becoming the new executive director of the Southwest Seattle Historical Society. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's funny because it's new and it's also not new at all in many different ways. You were the curator for 18 months before stepping into this position. Funnily enough, I've actually done every job here that you can have. So I started as the part-time programs and interpretation coordinator. Then last April, I became the full-time curator and now I'm the executive director. Wow. You're like the person at Disneyland who starts by sweeping up popcorn and then ends up building new rides and things like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey here. <laughs> and when the executive director position first came available, you initially opted not to apply for it, and then you did. What changed your mind? Oh, I think a lot of self-reflection. It was really more of a me problem mm -hmm. than a position or an organizational problem mm -hmm. um, in that I have worked my butt off for the past eight years to have the job title of curator. Mm -hmm. Everything that I did was focused on being a curator, making exhibits, looking at collections, everything that a curator does, being in charge of interpretation. And I loved that job and I didn't want to let it go. Mm -hmm. But I think that as I sat in the interim position as director for longer and longer, I think the thing that I realized is that I love facilitating telling stories. Mm. When I was an undergraduate and I was learning about being a curator and I was in my infancy in this position, in this field, I would often talk really excitedly about how I loved curatorial work because it felt like storytelling, but in a sphere. It felt very 3D and real and tangible. Mm -hmm. And I think that at my core, that's what I enjoyed and appreciated. But the farther and farther along I got, it's not about me telling a story or talking about history. It's about having the opportunity to facilitate communities to talk about their own history and contend with history and create space for everybody to tell their own stories and tell their own work. And I mm -hmm. think that so much of being an executive director is building space and capacity into an organization for others to tell stories yeah. and having the opportunity personally to be able to tell the story of this organization and why I think local history is important and where I see the vision of this organization going. And I think for me, those two realizations felt like work that I could get behind and be just as excited about as I was about the curatorial work that I was doing. And I still so love to do. 
Um, so I think that was really the personal journey that I went on in terms of what this position is, mm-hmm. what I could bring to it, and whether I could find the same excitement on the administrative side of things as I did on the programmatic side of things. Gotcha. Well, I can certainly relate to the the desire to share other people's stories by letting them share them themselves, <laughs> because that's definitely a big part of what I'm trying to do here. So I think it's really fantastic that you've had this journey with the organization and are now stepping into this really great role at a big, important time for the the organization and the museum and everything. And I also, uh, the reason I ask you that question is, I think it's a cool story about changing your mind or learning something about yourself and not being afraid to say like, you know what, I am going to do this. I am going to go for it. And I think that's, it's a really inspiring story. And I wanted to share that with people. So bravo. Thank you. I'm excited to take it on. It's going to be an interesting new challenge. Tapping into some skill sets I've been working on for a long time, tapping into some brand new skill sets. But I think that as we're looking at a new era of museums, it's really important to be able to question authority and who has authority and who has Mm -hmm. power and who has voice within museums and institutions. And I think that right now in this moment, I am potentially a good person to be leading that conversation at this organization. So that's my goal here is to recenter authority and power and value with our community and kind of decenter ourselves as the arbiter of all of those things. It's going to be exciting to watch and be part of. And you already have a big event coming up this summer tied into the 25th anniversary of the Log House Museum. How's that coming together? Oh, it's really exciting. I am just thrilled about it. So we're, of course, celebrating 25 years of the Loghouse Museum, which is a lot of fun. It's interesting, though, because the organization, of course, came about in 1984. So we had been around for a little while before the museum came to be. But I feel like the museum is often what people associate with us. And I'm excited to be able to celebrate that and bring some of the work and thinking we've been doing about the museum out into the community. Mm -hmm. And it's called Bridging Our Communities, and it's going to be at Salty's. Tell us a little bit about what the event is going to be. Yeah, so it's an evening reception from 6 to 8 at Salty's, and it's a a mix of a couple of different things. We are debuting for the first time ever three traveling exhibits, which I'm super excited about. Mm -hmm. So the first is about West Seattle, and it focuses largely on um, broad histories of who calls West Seattle home, and native plants here, and industry here, and how all of these things have come together since the settlers have arrived and uh, the course of that history really changed to create the West Seattle that we know and love today. Mm-hmm. And then the South Park exhibit is very focused on industrialization and business and that sort of versus community and how you keep a neighborhood alive in an area that has been really industrialized. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's continuing to see some grassroots movements to, to fight against some of that industrialization at the moment. And then White Center is all about food and place and community and how place informs food culture and the history of food in that area. So there's three like pretty different exhibits happening. Mm-hmm. We're also going to be having a little program talking about our the history, 25 years of the museum, yeah. hearing from our founders, hearing a little bit about the journey of 
getting and restoring the Log House Museum to begin with. Also be having a silent auction to support the fact that the Log House Museum needs a new roof. Mm. Funny thing about old buildings, you can't just restore them once. It is an ongoing process. Especially up here in the Pacific Northwest with our fun weather. Oh yeah, so much fun. So that'll be great to be able to to get some community support around fixing the roof of our beloved building and just a, a, a time and a place and a space for us to gather together in person for the first time in many years at this point yeah. and celebrate our past while also coming together as a community to make a plan for the next 25 years. Yeah, I know a lot of people are really excited about this event because it's something that used to happen on at least an annual basis pre-pandemic and there's a lot of enthusiasm for people getting back together, old friends, making new friends. And the auction is always pretty exciting. Can you reveal some of the items that uh, will be up for grabs or up for bid, I should say? Yeah, so there's a couple really exciting things. I won't spoil all of them. Um, people will have the opportunity to bid to stay in the Airbnb, which was first Doc Maynard's home in oh, Aokai, cool. uh, and is actually the oldest continually lived in building in the entirety of Seattle, which is actually just a couple blocks away from the museum. So mm -hmm. that's really cool. Um, we've got some art that's going to be up for bid by some local artists. And there's also some museum related stuff. People are going to be able to bid to have some of these traveling exhibits created on a topic of their choosing to bring oh. to whatever business they would like to see and to bid on uh, a public program that they would like to see the museum do. So there's a little bit of something for everybody, I think. Wow, that's really interesting, putting it out there to the community to say, you decide what we explore or learn about. Is that kind of a new thing for museums or historical societies? I think that there's been a move over the, the past 10 to 20 years to make that look more collaborative. I think a lot of the time it's leaned more into a community curated mindset in terms of actually bringing in members of the community to curate shows, which is something we're also exploring over the next 18 months and I think we'll be launching a program about. I think that museums have always tried to respond to community wants and needs, but a lot of that has been through collecting like broad data and then interpreting that data and right. trying to make sense of it in terms of what a community wants. But I thought it would just be interesting to ask and directly deliver. As a nonprofit, I feel like it is our duty to serve our community and we can't serve effectively unless we ask really directly what people want to see. So I mm -hmm. thought it would just be fun to, to give people the very direct opportunity to say, this is what I want to see. This is what I'd like to have explored and be able to deliver that. Very cool. And another way that the auction has traditionally responded to things that the community wants and needs is the opportunity to create your own ice cream flavor at Husky. Is that going to be back in the auction this year? It is indeed going to be back on the auction this year. Oh, good stuff. I covered that in an episode called All About Ice Cream, which also includes some fun uh, stories uh, from some people involved with the Historical Society who grew up in the log house. So I definitely encourage people to check out the All About Ice Cream episode there. Is there anything else people need to know about the event, uh, how to get tickets and what else? So you do need to register for the event. You can visit our website, loghousemuseum.org to learn more about the event and find out how to register. And it is also important to note that the last day to buy tickets is May 23rd. So after that, we can't add any more people. So make sure that you buy your tickets by that date. Okay. Yeah. You can't show up at the door banging on the gate trying to get in. You, you need to plan in advance for this one. 
Yeah. And I know that I think that's been different than how we've held events like this in the past. But as I'm sure everybody has heard of at this point, the supply chain at the moment is not its finest. Um, (laughs) So we've just got to give everybody a little bit more advanced notice on things like what our numbers will be uh, so that we can provide the best event possible for all of you. That sounds good. Plan ahead, plan accordingly, and plan to be there. I plan to be there, and I'm really looking forward to it. Good. I'm glad. I'm. I, I, you moved a vacation to be here. That's dedication. I did. I did. I'm delaying a trip to Europe, and we'll see if flight schedules, supply chains, will my flight actually take off? I don't know. I'm actually flying to Canada to catch a flight to Europe, and that, that may be the craziest most ill-advised <laughs> decision I've ever made in, in my travel life. But yes, I will be there and I'm super excited about it. I will also, of course, be there. You'll get to hear from me, see me in person. I won't just be a disembodied voice in your car or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I'm really excited for the event. I'm really excited uh, for you becoming the executive director. I think it's a really great fit. We've worked together now for at least a year. And I'm just really inspired by what you are bringing to this organization and to this community. So congrats again. And uh, I'll see you at Salty's. Thank you so much. See you at Salty's. (laughs) Secure your spot at Salty's for the June 3rd Bridging Our Communities event by registering online at loghousemuseum.org. And big thanks to presenting sponsors Luna Park Cafe and Alki Beach Academy for making this event possible. I've been learning a lot about the history of the Loghouse Museum in this year of celebrating its 25th anniversary, and it got me thinking about something. What would a museum of my life be like? If my home was turned into a museum, what would be the highlights? I took these questions to the streets of West Seattle for a completely unscientific always survey. Oh, uh, it'd probably be relatively short museum about like me traveling outdoors and uh, mixing with my schooling because that takes about half my life being 17. Well, I think it would be like Julia Child's house. (laughs) I have a lot of cookbooks. Uh Yeah, and art. Mm -hmm. It would be as it is now. Yeah, comfortable, inviting. I live with a professional musician and I'm also a professional musician, so it would probably be our collection of almost 20 saxophones. Wow. Like what animals would I have or what? I don't know. I've got six, seven cats at my house, so it's already kind of a museum there, but (laughs) tigers maybe. Um, sneakers. You have a lot of sneakers? I got a lot of sneakers, yeah. Uh, Jordans, Nikes, stuff like that. Is it kind of like a museum already? Yeah, kind (laughs) of. It is. I would say it would probably have guitars. I'm a luthier. Um, It would have snowboards, rock climbing equipment, and dog hair. So it would be action-packed? Yes, it would. (laughs) I I have lots of kids, and I've got pictures of them, and I just love them a lot, so hopefully they would notice that. Uh... Would it be a golf museum? Yes. A playable golf museum? Uh, sure. Okay. I'd hit that. Probably about music. music? Mm-hmm. What kind? Um, instrumental. Yeah, like film scores. Um, I have a lot of bird's eye views. Oh, nice. Yeah. Probably some uh, Canto swords I bought years ago. Don't remember why I bought them, but they're cool. So there'd be a whole collection of them. Oh no, just the two. I wish there were more. It's like everything in place. A very clean museum. Yeah. Organized. Yep. 
and what would be in there that would be organized? Sorry, what? Uh, what's in there that's organized? Everything's in place. It's, uh, there's not too much stuff to begin with. So it's like a, is it like a neat freak museum? Sure, yeah. I just moved into an apartment up the street, so uh, the highlight, hmm, well, I got a big computer set up, four screens, that's about it. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I have this little jar of squid eyes in my room because my friend likes to go squidding down on Alki, so I think that would be pretty cool, I guess. I also do art, so probably that, maybe. So a combo art museum and seafoodatorium? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Thanks to the people of West Seattle for sharing your very unique life museum visions. Keep it going by dropping a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. Our handle on all three platforms is at Always Podcast. Before the Log House Museum became a museum about West Seattle, it had an interesting history of its own and was actually located up the street where it served a very different purpose. To learn more about it, I spoke with Michaela Kraft, the Programs and Interpretation Coordinator for the Southwest Seattle Historical Society. So before the Log House Museum became a museum, it was once part of a property with a lot of history known as the Fur Lodge. Who built it and when? It was built by Gladys and William Bernard at the turn of the last century. They had camp at Elkai for many seasons, and they decided to form a permanent house there, and they built it around 1903. And so what was the Elkai area like around that time? It was quiet. It was pretty secluded. And I know that we have a lot of issues with the West Seattle Bridge today, and West Seattleites feel secluded in that way. But it was even more so back um, in the early 1900s because it was separated from the city by the water. So it was a place for vacations if you wanted some quiet time. Mm -hmm. So very much the cabin on the beach. Awesome. And so a lot of people would just spend summers only over there. Yeah. It was quite a feat to get back to the city. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't live there year round. And actually a lot of the first white settlers here ran into that same problem. So they came and they built houses and they realized it was not sustainable with the land and with how far they were from Seattle. So they all ended up moving back to the city proper. Which is what happened with the Bernard family. They didn't stay too long in that home that they built. No, they were only there a few years. I know that in interviews, Gladys said that she felt really isolated and it was really hard for them to hire people to work in their home. And they actually had a young daughter as well who had to go to school every day. And she would actually take a ferry over the water to Seattle every single day and it got really lengthy and a lot of times they would shut the ferry down at night so they couldn't make it back. Was there no other school options around West Seattle at that time? She had to commute to Seattle? Yeah, at that time, West Seattle didn't have a school. So that was it. Yes, and I know that the West Seattle school system is still a little smaller, obviously, than around that area. In West Seattle, with the advent of streetcars, Alki Beach suddenly went from being this quiet campground thing to being a lot more accessible and a lot more lively. Yeah, with streetcars coming onto the scene, that really caused a boom 
um, in West Seattle. And there was also the construction of Luna Park, which was a very popular attraction at the Mm -hmm. time. And there were a lot of beach houses that were being built for seasonal tourists in greater numbers. And it really became a place for like fun in the sun, very busy. They had the large natatorium on the beach as well, which Mm -hmm. became a public bath that offered swimming lessons and in the winter offered skating lessons. So there was a lot of opportunities to use the water and the beach as a place for recreation. There were also boathouses that started to spring up at that time. At one time, there were actually thousands of boathouses on Elkai. Wow. Yeah, it got pretty densely populated with tourists at that time. In a very short amount of time. Yeah. And so who were the next owners after the Bernards left? So in 1907, the Seattle Auto and Driving Club bought the Fur Lodge, and they used it as um, a place for their members to relax after rides or after meetings. And around that same time, actually, they were building Stevens Street, and they moved the carriage house, which became the Log House Museum, about about a hundred yards back away from the water to where it currently is now. And so the the carriage house, which is now the log house museum, used to be on the property which is now Il Nido restaurant and was the homestead restaurant for many years. It was sort of attached or nearby that building and then was moved to its current location. Yeah, so the carriage house obviously served as the stables, and it would have been, if you are familiar with West Seattle, it would have been like right in the middle of the street where where Stephen Street is, and they moved it for the construction, but originally it was meant as part of the property of the Fur Lodge, so they, it would have been used by the Bernard family. Mm-hmm. And after the move, the carriage house was mostly used as a residence? Yeah, it was used as a residence for, I would say, 90% of the last century. It was briefly an antique store. And then in the 90s, it became the home for the Southwest Seattle Historical Society. I'm not going to go too deep into that story because we're going to cover that in a future episode about the Log House becoming the Log House Museum. But let's talk just a little bit about that story the origins of it becoming the Log House Museum. Yeah, it was um, actually a grassroots campaign through the community that raised almost a million dollars. It was over $800,000 to renovate the the Log House Museum or the, the carriage house as it was then. And over the years, it had fallen into a bit of disrepair. So there was extensive renovations that had to be done, um, especially knowing that the upper floor of the Log House Museum used to be a hayloft. And now you you would have no idea that it was anything but a furnished building. I mean, it's a little crazy up there. It's definitely... Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) There's some low ceilings and funny angles and hidden (laughs) portals and things like that. But yeah, it does feel just like a house, not a barn. Has the interpretation of the story of the Log House Museum changed or evolved over time? So originally, and I can't completely speak to this because I wasn't part of 
the founding group for the historical society. Mm -hmm. But originally it was marketed as the birthplace of Seattle Museum because of our proximity to Elkai Beach and with all that associations with the Denny Party and everything like that. But in recent years, we have been trying to decenter that colonial narrative a little bit and mm. We've partnered with the Duwamish Longhouse. We've done some collaborative exhibits, and we have tried to shift our interpretation from more of a settler story to more of a, a story of people coming together and people learning how to live together in a place. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And I think it, it seems like the uh, exhibits and activities that are happening in and around the Loghouse Museum are reflective of that. What are some of the things that you've been involved with so far? As the Programs and Interpretation Coordinator, I have been um, lucky to run a lot of our family and children programs. So we recently had the Native Plant Garden Program, which introduced children to what a native plant is, what is considered invasive, dipping their feet into how to identify certain native plants and what they do for the ecosystem around here. We also had a kids craft time machine, which took kids back about a hundred years to what families would have been doing for their free time around that time, making toys, learning how to sew with safety needles, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, and we've done some really interesting holiday programs. Like we had a Halloween program that was like a historical trick-or-treat where every station was a different famous West Seattle resident. Oh, and cool. they could learn about that really quickly before they took the candy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a give and take. Are there uh, some events coming up at the museum that you're looking forward to? Yes. On June 3rd, we're going to have our 25th anniversary spectacular. So that'll be really exciting. And pretty soon here, we're going to be putting up a window exhibit that will allow people who might not be able to get to the museum when it's open, which, you know, is only weekends at the moment, to learn about what we do and what we're passionate about. And we'll have another exhibit change in the main gallery as well. So how much time do you spend at the museum currently? I am there nearly every weekend. Mm -hmm. I am the person you will most likely see if you're coming to the museum on weekends, besides our wonderful docents. And I really take care of the museum while it's open. So I am a graduate student at the University of Washington. So I'm not there during the week. I work from home, but I am there every weekend. <laughs> and what is it? Do you do you ever get a feeling or a vibe while you're there? What does it feel like to you to be in that space and working in that space and throwing events for people to be involved in that space? I, I was actually thinking about that yesterday while I was closing up. And I've spent a lot of time doing theater and, and writing. So I think a lot about stories and stories that are attached to buildings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while it's a little hard to find exact names and stories about the Log House Museum, you can tell that there are a lot of happy memories there. You can tell that it was really taken care of 
as a home for many years. We did a lot of renovation, obviously. Right. But there are still holdovers from previous residents. Like upstairs in the employee bathroom, there's the most beautiful light fixture that's like stained glass. And you would never think that you'd find that in an, a small, older home. Right. But it's just little touches like that that you can tell through the years, people have really loved that place. How has your time in the Loghouse Museum inspired your writing or informed your studies? Actually, uh, my thesis project is also at the Loghouse Museum. Okay. I am working on revamping our educational trunks for the school system. So since I am a writer and a theater lover and a theater person, I have made a series of lesson plans that goes along with books and teaching artifacts and also a write-your-own-play packet centering on our collections at the Log House. I love that. That's such a cool idea. I, I, I really think the, the future of places like this, when they serve as an opportunity for people to share their stories and get creative together or just be inspired by learning something about where they live, I think that's really fantastic. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. When do you present your thesis? In about a week. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> coming right down to the wire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I better let you go. Thank you so much for uh, your time today and the great work that you're doing at the Log House Museum. I think it's really fantastic. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share this episode with your friends. We also appreciate your mentioning us in your posts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is Always Podcast. And that's all with two L's. And if you've got a great idea for a story we should know about, drop us a line. Always West Seattle is a Made With Bacon production. All rights reserved. Interviews have been edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening.